You're listening to the Grow Your Own Food Podcast, a show dedicated to helping you grow fresh fruit, vegetables, and even grains in your own backyard. In every episode, you'll get growing tips, recipe inspiration, and more. Ready to get growing? Then let's jump in. Hey friends, welcome to episode 100 woohoo, of the Grow Your Own Food podcast. I'm your host, Shauna Smith, and today I'm really excited because I am going to be talking about something that became a fixture in our yard when we decided that we wanted to do some edible landscaping, and that is how to grow elderberries. So elderberries are native to a lot of North America, and because they're native to a lot of North America, they are very easy to grow in in most parts of um, Canada and especially the U.S. There are a few places where they don't grow as readily, and we'll go over that, but they are just incredible plants with incredible fragrant flowers. They have fruit in profusion. They make excellent sort of screens in the yard in terms of like wanting to create like a privacy wall of greens, which is kind of what we're using it for. They're just, they're incredibly useful. And they're really, really great because they are native plants. They're really great for pollinators of all different sorts. There are a few things that it's good to know about them, though, um, like how they grow, pests and diseases, and even a little bit about toxicity. So we're going to be talking about all of that and more in today's 100th episode. But first, a word from our sponsor. So before I get into the particulars of growing elderberries, I want to talk about edible landscaping for a second, because I think that if you're new to gardening, especially, it's it's something that you probably don't come across a whole lot. And especially, especially if you live in the suburbs and you have a yard, but you also have judgy neighbors who expect you to have, you know, your landscaping on point. It's hard sometimes. I once heard a story about a woman whose neighbor told on her to their HOA because she had started a garden in her yard. Like, what? What even kind of? No. (laughs) But edible landscaping is a really good way to make use of the space you have. And even in some cases, circumvent silly rules like that that may be in place in your neighborhood that gives you a way to still grow your own food. We chose to plant elderberry bushes because we wanted to create a sort of barrier. So we are very fortunate to have a large yard, but we back up to kind of a pretty major intersection in the suburbs and there's a lot of road noise and Mr. B really wants the backyard to be very like closed off and private. And so we chose to grow elderberries because they're fast growing. They get very large within a couple of years. And my favorite thing is that they produce edible berries and flowers. And you can use the berries and flowers for a lot of different things. 
so those those were my concerns. Uh, and then Mr. B agreed because they were fast growing and got very tall. So little did he know <laughs> I had some ulterior motives. So they they just they're really great in terms of edible landscaping, especially if you're wanting something that that gives you a little bit of extra privacy and and grows well. But they can be kind of tricky, especially if you are living in an area where you're expected to have things sort of growing and looking a certain way all the time. So uh, even if that's not you, I feel like this this guide to growing elderberries would be very helpful. Like say you've wanted to, maybe you're into herbalism and that kind of thing, and you've, you've read about the benefits of something like elderberry syrup and you want to grow them for yourself. So this guide is for you too. I'm going to be talking about how they grow, what they need, what pests to plan for, all kinds of stuff. So the first thing, though, that I feel like we should talk about before we start talking about anything to do with the plant is the the type of soil that they prefer and how to choose a site on your property for them. So like I said, elderberry bushes are native to most of North America. The only places that they're not found in the wild are Nevada, Utah, Idaho, Oregon, Washington, Alaska, and Hawaii. So a lot of places there on the western border of the United States, and then getting maybe a little bit farther into the interior, Idaho and and Utah. But everywhere else, some wild form of them, some wild variety of them grows. So they can be very, very easy to grow. And because they're a native plant, also, like I said, they're great for supporting your local pollinator population, like bees and butterflies and a a ton of, of other pollinators. All of that said, elderberries do best, as do most plants, in moist, fertile soil. But because they're native, it's not terribly hard to find soil that they'll thrive in. Sometimes it's just a matter of finding the right variety. If you're not sure about the fertility or the health of the soil in your yard and you don't want to do a soil test or you don't have the time, dig up a shovel full of soil. If you find lots of earthworms, you probably, one, have plenty of organic matter and lots of other good stuff your elderberry plants will like. Lots of worms is usually pretty indicative of of good soil. So if you dig up a shovel full and, and you find lots of earthworms, you're probably okay in terms of moisture and fertility. When it comes to location for planting an elderberry bush, in the wild, elderberry bushes are, are often found at the edges of wooded areas, so at the edges of forests. In that location, there's a nice mix of strong sunshine and kind of light shade or dappled shade during the day. And being stationed at the tree line also means that they get plenty of water dripping down on them from, from the trees above at the very edge of a forested area. So trying to sort of create that environment for them is great. But again, they're not terribly picky. Just make sure that you're not planting them in heavy, heavy shade. Elderberries need a lot of sun. And if you plant them in heavy shade, they might grow, but they won't reach their full potential without a decent amount of sunlight each day. Think at least eight hours of strong, full sunlight. 
they they won't get as tall, they won't fruit as much, they won't grow as wide. So just make sure that you, you keep that in mind. So let's talk about how to get your elderberry plants. And there's you can get them in two different ways. So there's propagating them from cuttings from an existing plant or buying them just like any other plant. So propagating, if you're lucky enough to know somebody with elderberry bushes in their backyard, then I say that's caused to do a little happy dance because it's easy to get free elderberry plants from cuttings. You just need to know kind of the secrets of, of cuttings and how to do it. So cuttings should be made in early spring as the plant is breaking dormancy. And we'll talk a little bit about dormancy and the whole growth cycle of elderberry plants kind of later in this episode. There's also some great pictures in the sister post for this episode on what a plant looks like as it's coming out of dormancy, but more about that later. Taking the cutting as the plant is breaking dormancy is going to guarantee that you're taking the cutting when the plant is going to be most amenable to creating new shoots. At certain points during a plant's life cycle, especially at certain you know points on the shoot of a plant, it has these special cells that are capable of forming roots. They're almost kind of like stem cells in a human being. They are capable of becoming a lot of different kinds of cells. And these special cells, they can turn into buds, you know, for a new branch, or they can turn into roots depending on where you place them. So as the plant is breaking dormancy, they're going to have tons and tons of these kind of special plant cells roaming around, you know, in the top sort of tissue or the the outermost layer of tissue in the plant. And that's where the roots are going to come from, from your cutting. With a clean, sharp knife, cut off a new shoot, otherwise known as a sucker, from an existing cane after it's sort of emerged You can tell new shoots or suckers by their bright green flexible stems. Older growth, the stuff from last year, is going to be tougher. It's going to be woody. That's kind of going to be the texture of an older cane. You don't want that. You want the stuff that's bright green and flexible and ready to put out new roots. Once you have your cutting, you can root it in one of two ways. So you can root it in water. By placing the cutting in water about halfway up the stem or, you know, depending on how long the stem is, at at least an inch or two. And then place it in a warm, sunny spot for six to eight weeks. By week eight, it should have some roots, but make sure that they're nice and sturdy before you go planting the cutting. Because roots grown out in water tend to be a lot more delicate than roots grown in soil. So that's kind of a lot like growing seedlings from seed and they're not exposed to the elements and so they can be very floppy and weak. They just they haven't built up the strength that they need to be outside. The same is true of roots. If roots come out in water, they don't meet any resistance. They're not getting a full spectrum of nutrients that they need right away. They'll be sort of brittle and delicate, and you'll just need to be very, very careful with them and let them sort of fatten up a little bit before you try and transplant your cutting. The next way that you can root your cutting is in soil. So take your cutting And then in a pot, mix some peat moss and some sand together. So sand is going to help make sure that the water drains, but peat moss is going to kind of hold on to the water. So you'll have this really nice mixture of damp, 
but not soggy growing medium. And then put the cutting, the stem of the cutting, in the soil mixture that you've made and kind of firm it around the stem so that the soil is making good contact with the stem and kind of triggering it and letting it know that like, hey, it's okay to put out roots here. Because you're not growing it in water, it's going to be a drier environment. So you're going to want to put a plastic baggie over the pot or some plastic cling wrap, what have you, and place a rubber band around the bottom of the pot to kind of secure it. If you need to, you can use like a little dowel rod or just something like that to stake to kind of tent up the plastic so that it's not sort of like bending down the cutting, depending on how tall it is, that you that you put in the soil. Cut a small hole, and when I see when I say small, I mean small, like less than the size of a dime, in the top of the plastic for air. This is going to create like a greenhouse effect and it's going to help encourage rooting. Place the cutting in the pot in a warm, sunny spot and kind of spray or water the soil whenever the soil gets dry on top. You need to make sure that you keep the soil consistently moist because that's, again, what lets roots know that it's safe to kind of grow out. And roots should develop between six and eight weeks. Now, unlike rooting your cutting in water, you're not going to be able to see it because it's under the soil. You'll know that you've got some roots growing down there when you can tug on the cutting after week six. I wouldn't try until week six or after and you start to feel resistance. Obviously, be careful. You don't want to like yank it out of the soil altogether, but just sort of like take between your thumb and forefinger and just kind of pull on a leaf a little bit and see if you feel any resistance. And then when planting, just go ahead and move some of the propagating substrate, that peat moss and sand, into the planting hole with it. So it's almost kind of like a security blanket, like the same thing you do when you transplant seedlings outside. It's totally okay, though, to grow a cutting in a pot until it is a pretty decent size and, and then go ahead and, and transplant it in a hole outside. You don't have to go immediately from glass of water or small cutting pot to out in your yard. In fact, if you do, that might be a little traumatic for the plant. So it's okay to keep it in a pot and kind of baby it along. In fact, I would, I would recommend it. And you know what? Shrubs like this, so elderberry bushes, blueberry bushes, that kind of thing, they are able to stay in a pot much longer than like say a vegetable plant or something like that that's going to outgrow the pot in no time because they're not annual. They aren't programmed to live fast and die hard in one year. You know, they, they're programmed to be around somewhat forever. So they will do perfectly fine in a pot. If you want to grow them in a pot their whole first year, they will be absolutely fine. And I'm just realizing I'm probably going to have to turn this into episode 100 and 101 because this is taking me a while. And that cutting process that I just described, you can use that process for way more than elderberries because you can take cuttings of a lot of different kinds of plants. So I, I would say some take to water rooting better than others. Some really only like to be rooted in soil. Some things are really picky and you need to buy rooting hormone. In my experience, elderberries don't 
really need rooting hormone. I do prefer to do rooting in a pot just because I feel like the roots grow faster and stronger. But again, just my experience, just my opinion. So we've talked about cuttings. Now we can talk about buying your elderberries. So when I wanted to start growing elderberries, I didn't know anybody who had them, so I couldn't do cuttings. I had to buy them. I've subsequently taken cuttings and rooted them just to see if I could because I'm kind of a mad scientist when it comes to gardening. But initially I did. I had to buy them and there's no shame in doing that. When buying any live plant or, you know, dormant plant, when you when you get elderberry canes, they almost certainly will be dormant. That is when nurseries ship them. It's important to make sure that you're buying from a reputable seller. My recommendation is always going to be to go local any chance you can. A local nursery is going to be able to tell you so much more about the origin and variety of elderberry that you're interested in buying than if you bought it at like Home Depot or another big box hardware store. But if you can't find elderberry plants locally, because I couldn't, Another good option is a fruit tree and shrub seller who's been around a while. So for me, in the U.S., I purchased all my elderberry plants from Stark Brothers Nursery. I've had really, really good luck with them in the past. I mean, I've, I've purchased elderberries from them, blackberries, a, a peach tree, a cherry tree, a key lime tree, baby tree, you know, I've, I've purchased a lot of things from them and everything has always done really well except for one cherry tree that I planted too deeply. I, I planted it below the trunk flare and it suffocated and it died, but that was my fault. Everything else I've gotten them from them has been fantastic and I'm not being paid by them to tell you that either. This is not an ad. That is just my opinion of of how they do business and the quality of things that they they sell. I ordered two of their elderberry plant collection, which was six of the Adams variety and six of the Johns variety for good pollination rates, which we'll talk about pollination rates for elderberry bushes later in this episode. But that collection had three of each plant, so I got two of them, so I ended up with 12 plants total. And I know that sounds like a lot, because it is. But like I said, we wanted to make like a whole wall of elderberry shrubs. And you'll be able to see from the picture in the sister post that that it is like a really big space that we wanted to do this with. When you get new plants from the nursery, like I said, they're going to be dormant and they will look like bare sticks when you unbox them, like sticks with some roots on them. Do not panic. (laughs) That's how they're supposed to be. A plant is going to have a much easier time adjusting to being transplanted, especially a small tree or a shrub, if it is dormant when you plant it, if it's not trying to support leaves that are actively photosynthesizing. So it's a good thing for these plants to be dormant when they come to you. They are alive. You just need to get them in the ground as soon as possible. And honestly, they will spring to life in the matter of sometimes a week. You'll start to see leaves start to come out. You'll start to see the plant starting to break dormancy. may not be from the existing cane. It may be from the rootstock. 
So some plants, especially elderberries, we had this happen with a couple of our plants, the canes themselves, they, whether it was like an old cane or the cane had kind of like died in transit or something like that, uh, it, it didn't come to life. What did come to life was that root mass and it sent up a new shoot, a new cane from that root mass. And either way it happens does not matter plant is still alive. Of those 12 plants that we ordered, every single one of them came out of dormancy. Some were a little slower than others. Some didn't come out of dormancy on the cane. They shot up a new cane, but they all survived and they're all thriving. And some of them are honestly approaching eight feet tall now. So that leads me to the next section, which I think is all we're going to get through for today. Yeah, that's all we're going to get through today is, is how elderberries grow. So spread and self-propagation is, is something that elderberries are very good at. And if you've ever grown raspberries, you're, then you're going to be very familiar and very comfortable with elderberry plants because raspberries grow in, in much the same way. Elderberry plants just get much, much, much taller. So elderberry plants, bushes, shrubs, whatever you want to call them, they can get big, like six to eight feet tall and six to eight feet wide. That is huge, my friends. Like I said, we were wanting it for like a privacy green wall, so... It works for that at eight feet tall, trust me. But make sure you take that into account when you're finding, when you're figuring out how many plants to buy or how many plants to propagate from cuttings. You can always, always, always trim them back, trim them down. That's always an option if needed. But it's a good idea to give them plenty of space when planting. Another factor to take into consideration is the tendency for elderberries to self-propagate. And I have a picture of what I mean by this in the sister post, but elderberries spread via rhizomes underground. A lot like, like I said, raspberries, or if you're familiar with forsythia bushes, those, those bushes that put out the super bright yellow flowers really, really early in spring. You see them a lot around Easter time. It's very similar to that. This year, we had one pop up a good three feet out away from the root mass of the mother plant. So elderberries, new canes have a tendency to mostly shoot up from the main root mass, the original root mass. But yeah, every once in a while, you'll just get a runaway rhizome that travels underneath the ground. You can't see it. And a cane will just kind of pop up out of nowhere. This isn't a concern for us because we're using the elderberry bushes again, like I said, to create like a wall in our yard. In the backyard, we're fine with it getting as big as it wants to get, but this might not be the case for you. So if you have a smaller yard, if you're planting it in a place where there's limited space, you just want to be proactive when it comes to controlling their spread growth cycle. So this goes back to what I was talking about, like dormancy and everything like that. In terms of growth cycles, elderberries are deciduous, meaning their leaves drop off every fall. And in the winter, the canes look like a bunch of bare sticks kind of growing up out of the ground. But in spring, the canes put out new buds that eventually grow into lateral branches, side branches that grow out instead of up. And these lateral branches flower 
and produce berries. These are also when the cane first breaks dormancy and sends out that that shoot that would eventually become a lateral branch if you left it on the plant. That's what you'd want to be cutting off if you're making a cutting. So earlier when I was talking about cuttings, that's what you're going to want to take. Spring is also when new shoots may appear from underground. So either from the main root mass, like I said, or several feet away from the, par the parent plant. So some berry bushes only fruit on old wood. So last year's growth. You do have some plants like raspberries that will do both. Technically, anyway, they'll do both. They'll send up new canes and they'll fruit in the fall. And then they'll fruit again in the spring the following year and then they'll die. But that's okay because they've sent up new canes in the spring and those will fruit in the fall. It's kind of like this never-ending cycle with some raspberry varieties. With elderberries, both new and old growth will flower and bear fruit. So last year's growth will flower and set fruit. And this year's growth that just shot up out of the ground this a few months ago will flower and set fruit. But even though they're different from raspberry and blackberry canes in that way, elderberry canes do age just like raspberry and blackberry canes. After about three years of fruit production, bearing will begin to decline for most elderberry canes. When you notice this in summer, because I would say our elderberry bushes, they have put out blossom heads, but those blossoms, those tiny little flowers haven't opened up yet. So I would say it won't be until probably the end of this month, the end of June, that they will do that. And then they'll work on fruiting and they won't be ready to harvest from until August. When you notice in August that like eh, the fruit on this cane isn't so great as it, as it was last year. When you notice that, mark it with a piece of tape or string or paint, like some sort, something, so that you can keep an eye on it for later, for pruning. And we'll talk about that later in the episode. Blossoms and pollination. So because elderberries blossom and fruit on both new and old canes, when you plant a dormant cane or cutting, it will almost certainly bloom and bear fruit the first year. Like unless something went really wrong with it, like let's say you had some really wonky weather or things were really dry or pests got after it really bad, it's, it's almost certainly going to bear fruit. Blossoms will begin to develop at different times depending on which USDA hardiness zone you live in. We live in zone six. And like I said, we have blossoms. They haven't opened up yet, but ours started developing in late May and, and they open fully in mid to late June. The blossoms themselves smell incredible. You can detect them from several feet away and the scent travels so amazingly on the breeze. It's really no surprise that they attract a ton of pollinators, and this definitely helps with fruit production. But another thing that helps fruit production is cross-pollination. 
So pretty much all berry bushes, and this goes back to why I said we got two different varieties, pretty much all berry bushes do best when they have another variety nearby for cross-pollination. This is the case for a lot of fruit trees as well. So if you've ever planted an apple tree or a cherry tree, it's often recommended that you have a different variety of apple or cherry tree, you know, within 50 feet or so to help with cross-pollination. Now, this isn't necessarily a requirement, at least not always, and if it is, the variety you're considering buying should say whether it's recommended. That is kind of a benefit of buying plants rather than taking cuttings is you know what variety you're getting, you know whether or not you need another variety for cross-pollination, but you know what, even if you're not sure, it doesn't hurt to have another variety, and it is a great way to increase yield. As part of the reason why I love the elderberry plant collection from Stark Brothers so much, like I mentioned, it just automatically provides you with those two different varieties. Fruiting. Again, timing of fruit set will depend on where you live, but here in zone six, we see fruit beginning to set in July. The berries come in green and they look like little peas. They do take a while to ripen. Like I said earlier, our berries aren't ready to harvest until sometime in August, which is much later than you usually see berries being ready to harvest. The green berries will slowly start to darken to a deep, deep purple that's almost black. Now, a lot of fruit and vegetable plants benefit from fertilizing when fruit begins, but berry plants, including elderberry plants, are different. If you fertilize right before or during fruiting in a berry plant, it can affect the berry flavor in a bad way. It's almost like bland, if that makes sense. So avoid fertilizing during fruiting for berry plants. If you do want to fertilize, you totally can. Just make sure to do it when the plant is breaking dormancy instead of in the middle of fruiting. When it comes to harvesting elderberries, color alone shouldn't be used to determine ripeness. You need to use your sense of touch too. So here's what I do. I hold a bowl underneath the berry cluster and I, I know this is going to sound totally weird, but I tickle the berry cluster with my fingertips and if the berries come off really easily then they're they're ready to harvest. If they're hanging on pretty firmly still, don't bother tugging on them. They need another few days. And not all berries in a cluster will ripen at the same rate. So I actually don't go out, or at least I haven't yet. I might once my elderberry bushes start to get insanely big and I just can't do this clump by clump. But right now, I don't cut off the entire cluster of berries just because they don't ripen at the same rate. Uh, if you do want to cut off the entire clump of berries and harvest them inside, make sure you use a clean pair of gardening shears to cut the cluster from the plant and then just kind of allow it to drop into your basket or a large bowl and then have a seat and work on removing the berries from the stems because there are going to be a lot of berries. Pro tip though, I recommend wearing dark colored clothing when harvesting or cooking with elderberries because they do stain. So kind of just like strawberries or raspberries, blueberries, any. Ugh, any berry, honestly, but elderberries seem to be 
like worse somehow like they're just darker and so they stain much more readily similarly you may wish to wear a pair of rubber gloves to avoid staining your fingertips purple during the harvesting process or depending on what you're doing with them during the cooking process finally and this will be the last thing that we talk about in today's episode is going to be pruning elderberry bushes because holy cow this episode has gotten long So there's only three reasons why you would want to prune an elderberry bush. The size is getting out of control, for one. Two, fruit bearing has decreased. Or three, the canes have died. Again, elderberries fruit on both new and old wood. So there's really no benefit in terms of increasing yield to sort of tip them like you would blackberry canes. So tipping is a process by which you cut off the the top two to three inches of the new shoots when they're about four feet tall to sort of increase lateral branch production, which will in turn increase fruit production next year because the blackberry is fruit on old wood only. But there's really no need to prune an elderberry bush unless it's for for one of the three reasons above. Because, you know, cutting off that tip is not going to increase lateral branch production It fruits on both new and old wood, so you're good. If size is the issue, you can trim down anything that's getting too tall, trim back anything that's getting too wide, but I do recommend doing this at the end of the year after you've harvested and the plant is dormant so that fruiting and the overall health of the plant is least impacted. Honestly, pruning is is always going to be best when the plant is dormant. It just reduces the likelihood of bacterial infection, trauma, that sort of thing. For elderberry canes that have begun to decline in fruiting, remember how I said before to mark low-bearing canes when you notice them in summer with like tape or string or something? So when, once the plant has gone dormant and the leaves fall off in the fall or winter, Kind of then is the time to be proactive and go out with your shears and cut back any canes that that you've marked because they're not fruiting as much and cut that cane all the way down to the ground. And then finally, broken or dead canes, you know, whether it was a pest that broke it, whether it was like a windstorm or something that came by and snapped it. And, and that can happen because, like I said, they can get like eight feet tall. Those broken or dead canes should be cut off as soon as possible because they can be a breeding ground for pests, which we are going to be talking about in the next episode because, yeah, there's not time for that today. So we're going to be talking about elderberry pests, elderberry diseases, fun, uh, elderberry toxicity, which is a thing not to be scared about, but it does need to be taken into consideration. And then recipe ideas. So all that is going to be coming in the next episode. So you have that to look forward to. And if you're not at all interested in growing elderberries, sorry, (laughs) this is getting stretched out into two episodes. So that is what is on deck. But thank you for listening to all of that today. We'll continue next time. I hope your summer is off to a beautiful start. It has gotten 
pretty steamy here in our little corner of the world. Not gonna lie, I wasn't ready for it to get this hot this fast. We're already in the 90s and it is only the second week of June, so, but we'll survive. I hope your garden is growing beautifully and I'll talk to you in the next episode. Thanks for listening to the Grow Your Own Food podcast. Visit beeandbasil.com for helpful how-to articles, images, and recipes.